This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Is Fox News about to get what's finally coming to it? This is the Balance of Power Roundtable, which is part of the Beyond Politics podcast. I'm Matt Robeson, your host, joined as always by former two-term U.S. Congressman, Democrat, Paul Hodes, and Republican and conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant, Alicia Preston. I only have to give the party labels up front because that's kind of what you have to do. Pretty soon in America, if Marjorie Taylor Greene gets her way, we'll have it stamped onto our identity cards and go along with our social security numbers. It'll be fantastic. We have to start, though at a different kind of like red-blue conflict in America in the Wayback Machine. Do you remember the halcyon days after the 2020 election when it looked like everything might disintegrate and Fox News was saying there was a conspiracy to steal the election for Donald Trump? Turns out, not only was that bullshit, they knew it was bullshit the whole time. It's come to light as part of the Dominion Voting System's defamation case against Fox News, a treasure trove of internal texts, emails, and other communications indicating that there was full-on panic inside Fox News that they knew that the Trump big lie was just that, a big lie, and yet they continued to push it on air. Not just continued to, they continued to scream internally at their hosts and anchors to make sure to support Donald Trump and to support the big lie and not concede an inch. Alicia Preston, defend your boys. <laughs> that's, I didn't that's think what... I was going that way with that. <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't think so. All How right, do look. you drop an anvil on your friend? <laughs> right. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I'm basically Wiley Coyote right now. Yeah. I used to be a journalist. I was a television news reporter, not Fox News, not national level. But I saw testimony or information came out yesterday that Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch testified that the hosts on the Fox News shows, quote unquote, endorsed the idea that the election was stolen. And all I could think of is that's like not how news works. That's just not how news works. <laughs> we endorse this concept. That's not how news works. And I think I think Fox News, I think in part the MSNBCs of the world have done a great injustice in their duties by being so far pinned to one political party. Now, a little bit of history because people are like, oh, they're not supposed to have opinions. Media organizations since the dawn of time have had a political slant. So that's why in Boston, there's the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald. In California, every major city has, I don't know about now, always had a conservative and a liberal paper. That's how those things worked. But it was kept off the news pages themselves and kept to editorial content. The difference now is it has slipped into the decision-making of what they cover and how they cover it from a news perspective. And that's a great injustice. I don't know if Fox News should have to pay $1.6 billion. Maybe they should. But <clears throat> when you get behind a news desk or sit in one of those comfy morning couches and you don't give your opinion, you spew it as fact and it is false, yeah, you should be held accountable. So I guess the burning question that comes up from that is, do we need couches on this show? Are you suggesting that we're lacking couches? My chair is kind of a hard wooden, you know those old college chairs? 
Oh. Like they're black with wood. I'm yeah. sitting in my father's yeah. college chair and I need a cushion at least. You need Maybe an we upgrade. should at least cushions. We're going to turn our Beyond Politics ad revenue. And by the way, thank you to all of our subscribers. We really do appreciate you into a into at least a cushion. Can I get you into a, a nice pillow? Except it won't be cushion. The whoopee cushion for Alicia. Every time you drop in a That's political right. anvil every, on Every her, time you says, lapse into Republican talk talking points we're gonna we're gonna insert the nope 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 all right so i think you raise a really an interesting aspect of this which is the defense that fox has mounted is that when there's controversy it is the function of news to cover the controversy now there's a talk about long-standing practice in american journalism there's a long-standing practice if you want to get out of the pickle of you're not supposed to push opinion which fox news does that's they're mostly an opinion outlet but you know you're and you don't want to be liable what you do is you feature and engineer a controversy and then you cover the controversy that's what they're saying in court we were just covering the controversy now it it's clearly crossed a line here where they weren't just manufacturing a controversy that didn't exist and then covering it they were actually featuring perspectives that they knew to be false and where there was real damage being caused. So now, Paul, I need to turn to you. We've gone from our former journalist media analyst to our former prosecutor legal analyst. Is this defamation? So first of all, I agree with Alicia. We're in the age of infotainment. That has not done good things necessarily in the marketplace of public opinion. If you can't get it straight from the media and journalists, then you're kind of, the system is in peril and awash. So at the very least, the media and journalists, most of them hold themselves to a standard. And that standard generally is telling at least what they believe to be the truth, or if it's opinion, stating it's our opinion that. That seems like a pretty, pretty basic thing. In terms of defamation, in order to show or prove defamation against a public figure, or in this case, a public entity, you've got to show a disregard for the truth and saying something that they knew was false. That is the definition of actual malice, saying something bad about somebody, causing harm, knowing that what you were saying is false and you had actual malice. What came out most recently, in addition to the emails, in addition to the tweets, in addition to all that, was Mr. Murdoch gave a deposition. And in his deposition, he agreed that they were going after the money. And basically, he conceded that Fox News endorsed the false claim the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump, knowing it was a false claim, but doing it to make money follow the money. If that isn't a definition of knowing what you're doing is false, and the actual malice is, I want money, I don't care about the truth, they're going to, a jury is going to pound them, we hope. We hope. But Paul, isn't it the case, though, that that in a case like this, see how badly I did that, that you would only need one jury to be a Fox viewer or someone who took the position that it was reasonable because there was a controversy and they were talking about it, that that seemed reasonable or what they said on air seemed like 
at least characterizations of opinions that were current in the world. So let, it only let, takes one, right, to to get Fox off the hook. You're asking whether or not you're going to get a hung jury. I can't tell you what's going to happen inside the jury room. I'm just um, saying that you, Fox doesn't need to prove their case to 12 humans. They need to maybe prove their case to one human. Maybe their best hope is to find one juror who somehow disregards the mountain of evidence and says, just like Fox News, I'm going with the right wing crazies. And I don't like the idea that they're going to have to pay this money. So I'm going to hold out and I'm going to hold out against the other jurors, all of whom want to get home for dinner all of whom want to give, want to pound them with money. This is it could sure, happen. Okay. Sure. Yeah. There are broader Listen, implications here, though. That's what I was about to ask you. Go, please. So first of all, you said Fox News manufactured this. Fox News didn't manufacture this. Donald Trump and his cronies manufactured this narrative. The problem is they didn't just cover it. They promoted it. And that's not the job of news media. The broader implication here is, and this I put firmly in the lap of Donald Trump, is we got into a place where politicians who didn't like what news media were saying or covering, even when it was legitimate coverage, saying they should be sued. We got into a point of saying they should be canceled or whatever it is. But the lawsuit was a big thing to try silence journalism. And we can't do that. We need a fourth estate. We need the freedom of press. What this does is it says they went so far that the freedom of press must be reined in. And that's a dangerous place to put us. Now, maybe they should lose $1.6 billion. I haven't followed the trial every minute. I do think they spewed lies when they knew they were lies, and you can't do that. But it opens up this incredible can of worms that the United States of America has never dealt with before, which is what is the line for a free press? Now, in the past- Can I disagree with you a little bit there, though? Sure. Can I disagree with you a bit? Because I think what you're suggesting, not to put words in your mouth, is that Fox News is in trouble for substituting opinion for factual coverage, for not behaving like a news organization. But I don't think it's quite that. I don't think that they're running afoul of the First Amendment by giving their opinion. They're running afoul of the law for stating lies as fact in a malicious and reckless way. I don't and disagree with you. No, I agree with you. Knowingly do that. And so I just want to be careful about I don't know that we have a First Amendment problem here because the unfettered ability to give opinion remains intact. What you're not allowed to do is recklessly lie and knowingly lie about someone for your own benefit in the media. That you can't do. No, I totally agree with you. But where I was going was this. How it worked in the past is there was a trust with the public and the members of the media and organization policed themselves. We could trust what they were saying was either an opinion because they told us it was an opinion or if it was part of news content, it was news meant it was fact, at least by the speaker, whether that was someone being quoted or an anchor or a reporter him or herself. What Fox News has done is they've taken that to such another extreme level that they are no longer policing themselves. And that sends a dangerous message to all members of the media, but an even more dangerous members message to members of the public who now can't trust what is our stopgap between government mm. and the people. And that's the biggest danger that Fox News has done, in my opinion. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. You're, I agree with you that there's a rich tradition in American journalism of 
trying to ride the line, first of all, as a former journalist, that news organizations that, that, are, that sell themselves as, we are a news organization, we are here to cover the news, they always make editorial and opinion decisions. They make them by choosing to cover certain things and choosing not to cover certain things. It's always been problematic that news and opinion have been wedded together in the same organizations. The New York Times gets dinged for this all the time. They're this public paper of record. And so their news division exists under the same banner, literally, as their opinion section. And their opinion section is quite, li is quite liberal. Their news section is supposed to not be, but plenty of conservative commentators, with some justification, have pointed out that the New York Times makes all kinds of internal decisions about what it covers, what it doesn't cover, and how it frames its coverage. I think what you're suggesting is that we're pretty comfortable with that. We're okay with that because that's there's no other better way to do it. We can't enforce anything different. And at least if there's a multiplicity of outlets out there, the public gets different perspectives. And what you're suggesting is Fox News has taken it to a totally different place where there was never the irony here is that in this case, the problem started because they actually maintain a very small independent news division that called Arizona before any other news organization for Joe Biden that night, correctly, as it turned out. Mm -hmm. That's what created some of the kerfuffle that led to executives leaning on their opinion commentators to go the other way and to support can I, Trump. Can I just Let me just throw a minor legal perspective in here. So way back when, the standard that is being applied here was decided in a case basically called the Sullivan case. And it imposed a daunting standard, a standard that favors free speech over protecting reputation, understanding that media will sometimes just get it wrong, okay? They will sometimes just get it wrong for a variety of reasons. They'll get it wrong. And you don't want to have a cavalcade of lawsuits against the press, against the media, just because they get it wrong. So we're going to favor free speech over protecting the reputation of these media outlets. And that works not just in the case of Fox News lying to earn money and support Donald Trump. It applies in, 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 in the reverse cases where right-wing figures may go after left-wing media saying you're wrong. So it applies left and right and center. And the standard that was extended in Sullivan, essentially. It requires proof that disputed statements were made with, quote, actual malice, mm. i.e. knowledge of their falsity, or with disregard, which is a serious subjective doubt about their truth. I'm trying to phrase it as simply as I can. That is a very high legal standard, proving that a media outlet is, does something with actual malice, do, puts it out there knowing that it's false, not caring about what happens, that th then harm and damage is done, 
that's an extraordinarily high legal standard. And in fact, there's been lots of cries on the right about getting rid of that standard because Donald Trump felt that he was maligned by, by the left unfairly and he wanted, he didn't like the standard. So the idea that that working with this standard is going to cause some cavalcade of misery for the media or do some damage to the marketplace of ideas is one that I at least find pretty far-fetched because the standard is so high. If you, and now I'm not in, I'm not in the courtroom. I haven't looked at the, at the, the you know, I haven't read the depositions. I haven't seen the emails. I've just read reports of all this. If the reports of that, what we're, the words that are being quoted here about what Fox News and its leadership and its anchors and its people who were spewing this stuff knew was false and they were doing it for the money, that is a pretty, that's a landmark case. Yes, it's a landmark case and it's huge, but lying Sim lying for money just can't be condoned, especially by the most popular news outlet in the United States with this huge reach. What if they believe it? Honest question from a legal standard. There is at least, what, 20% of the country that actually believes the 2020... The yeah, George Costanza defense. Be, yeah, no, I'm be, just asking. If you tr These people, because there are 20% of this country at least that truly believe the election was stolen, it wasn't stolen, people... What if these people truly believe that? Is that an offense? The challenge is here. They believe it because of the Fox News lies. <laughs> that they believe it because Fox News lied to them and they believe what they see on Fox News. And that's the problem. So I suppose that if Fox News, if the evidence showed that Fox News really believed it, this suit would be in trouble. But the evidence apparently shows that nobody at Fox News believed it. They right. knew they were lying and they were pushing it to make their money. And that is, that's not allowed. I don't know what you were just referring to, but it was spectacular. It, it sounded like <laughs> an Italian street vendor. No, it listen, made me want you, a slice of pizza. I'm not sure what just happened no, there, I, but it was subconscious like, in my like head. You guys didn't go. No, Paul, you grew up in Actually, that, the Icy Man. You um, know, it's an even more obscure reference. It's a reference to the Schmangies. And for those oh of you God. who don't know the Schmangies, just go on YouTube and check out Eugene Levy and John Candy in as the Schmangy brothers. I see. I love Eugene I see. Levy. He's That's, hilarious. His son's even better. I aspire to his eyebrows. I think you raise a fascinating Don't. point though, Alicia, which is that there are charges thrown around, a lot of both sides-isms these days about the liberal media does this and so does the right-wing media and therefore a plague on both their houses. What the Fox News case is demonstrating is that there's a bright line distinction here. And it's what you just said. It's that it's acceptable and within kind of the mainstream of journalistic and opinion practice in America under the First Amendment to talk about and cover controversies. It's acceptable to give opinions. It's not acceptable to knowingly, maliciously, and recklessly tell lies. And so the difference is when MSNBC promotes a political opinion, they're promoting a political opinion. Most of the time, when Fox News, when Fox and Friends promotes political opinions, they're promoting political opinions. In this case, what they're doing crossed very, very bright line. I'll give you a thought experiment. 
almost 30 years ago, there was the famous case of the 60 news, 60 minutes news story on the cigarette industry that got spiked. This was what was portrayed in the Russell Crowe movie, The Insider. Jeffrey Wigand was a whistleblower from inside the tobacco company, Brown and Williamson. He was willing to go on the record and talk about the fact that cigarette company executives knew about the harms of their products and had buried the science. And CBS News was informed by attorneys for the tobacco companies that if they went ahead with the story, they might be liable under a theory called tortious interference. Paul can explain that if we really want to go into the weeds. We don't know. And they said for business reasons, because how did you put it, Paul? They wanted the money because they wanted the money for business reasons. The business division of CBS Westinghouse, because for some reason, a news company was owned by Westinghouse at the time, said, we can't run this. The legal liability might be too great. What's interesting in the Fox News story, first of all, in what's come to light, is that first of all, there was some discussion along those exact same lines, that if they told these kinds of lies, they might actually be liable, and they had to be super duper careful here. The other side of that that I find kind of interesting is that Dominion is a party that has standing here because there is a direct harm. They can bring a lawsuit because they are a harmed party. In the case of CBS and the tobacco companies, it, let's say 60 Minutes, instead of just killing their expose, had decided to recut it and make it an exoneration of tobacco. Tobacco is wonderful for you. It'll extend your life and make you taller. Then the American people, people who had been harmed by tobacco, might have had standing. They might have said, hey, we kept smoking cigarettes because you said I'd be like three inches taller. And now, you know, I'm sick. And that might have been a whole different legal situation. Isn't it the case, Paul Hodes, that Fox News's lies created not just a harmed party in Dominion voting systems, but can't you tie their spreading of the big lie, that 20% Alicia was just alluding to of the American people that believed that the election was st stolen, can't you tie that to the 150 police officers who were injured in the insurrection to the damage that was done there? Would there be like a class action lawsuit possibility here? Weren't we all harmed by this? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. It is, it is certainly possible that if the Dominion lawsuit is successful, others will bring claims against Fox News and hopefully try to bankrupt the Murdochs. That would be a lovely thing. I'm waiting to see it. I've written all kinds of lawsuits in my time, and I could write that lawsuit. I could make, Paul Hodes I for could, hire. I could make those claims. <laughs> I, I like, could make oh. I could make those claims. I could I could I think I could establish the but for legal causality, but it would be rather a wide ranging lawsuit because you'd have to pull in the public actors who aided and abetted by their conspirator Fox News because you'd find all the communications between which we already know about between the Trump White House and his co-conspirators and insurrectionists and Fox News who went back and forth so that Fox News essentially became the propaganda arm of this autocratic whack job. Listen, I say all this for one specific reason, and then we can move on. No, I see Alicia wants to say something too. Sorry, uh, we'll hit that. This past week, the Supreme Court heard 
the case on Section 230. That's the piece of the Telecommunications Act of 1996 that protects social media companies, internet companies from being liable for the stuff that's posted on their platforms. The lawsuit, the underlying lawsuit in that case involves the Paris shooting spree and the radicalization of person perpetrated that crime by what they saw online. And so it is not, in my mind, going too far to say that when you have mass media perpetrating lies and suggesting that there might need to be extreme or maybe even violent solutions to their imaginary harms, that they bear some responsibility for that. And that's what's under review in the Supreme Court right now. And it would be it will be very interesting to me to see if there is a connection point there between the insurrection, the ongoing harm and violence we've seen in America, election administrators being threatened, being stalked, being attacked, and the lies that Fox News told. And I, it would be, we've already seen in the 900 some odd prosecutions of the insurrectionists that they, some of them have claimed as a defense, Donald Trump told me to do it. It would be interesting to see if any of them would claim Fox News told me to do it. Sorry, Alicia, go ahead. Now I'm going to switch gears to what you just said. Look, I'm completely opposed to the concept of suing Fox News for the insurrection. And here's why. This is the slippery slope we're going to walk right into. Donald Trump and the people who committed acts of violence and insurrection on January 6th are responsible for their behaviors. Donald Trump told them to go there, told them to fight for their country. So did Rudy Giuliani. That is inciting something. Is a step too far to say Fox News or anyone else other than the perpetrators, unless Fox News got up there and said, go commit an act of violence or riot or insurrection or whatever you want to call it at the Capitol on January 6th. That's not a slippery slope. That's a damn avalanche that we don't want to walk into on either side. So, so I'm not for that. You can't go that far unless someone actually got up and said, go do this. People are responsible for their own actions. And that's something I think we've lost in the last few years. They absorb themselves into this cult-like behavior. And then it's okay because I believed it. It's okay mm -hmm. because Donald Trump said so. Mm -hmm. That is a dangerous avenue for us to walk down and find acceptable. So, so you don't want to get into a discussion about legal causality here in terms of what is the but-for cause of something and who's responsible. So we won't get deeply into that. Let me just say, I understand your concern, Alicia, about um, going too far in assessing accountability. I would certainly say that Fox News, and as a purveyor of lies, let's say a purveyor of lies that had has real impact on the way people think and what they believe should have may have some accountability in in, in thinking about who's responsible for what happened. But we're going to leave that for another day because it's unlikely that we're going to see that kind of lawsuit. But meanwhile, Matt raises a very interesting question, which is, I think the the a burning question, given the prevalence of social media in our lives, is the law giving them essentially absolute immunity, absolute protection from serving as a platform for lies, hate, and violence? Should that still stand? The, from what I understand about the arguments in the Supreme Court, 
The court is troubled by that absolute standard. There has been no regulation of social media yet, and it's been now a decade. Our lives have totally changed, and it may be that a re-examination of that kind of absolute protection is going to happen. And if it may happen in the courts, it may happen in Congress. I'm going to take a more conservative line on this one. I agree with Justice Elena Kagan. It should not happen in the courts. The, these are not nine, as she said, of the biggest experts on the internet out there. And I agree with you, Paul, that these are folks who are at the level of, could you please print my email for me? I need to respond to it. I, these are not the folks to try to parse through this. This is a legislative function. This is something that folks like you should really be doing. There should be testimony. There should be expertise. And there should be a legislative solution. There should be something done by representatives of the people, not nine. I don't see that there is a constitutional question here. There is a very troubling legal question, but I, it to me, it doesn't create a constitutional question. I also don't think that there's, I think that there's probably a compromise needed because if you followed the presentations of the two sides in this case, they were taking kind of absolutist views. The attorneys for Google were saying, there, there should be absolutely no responsibility whatsoever. And the attorneys for the plaintiffs were saying, yeah, Google is responsible for absolutely everything. If you post a bad recipe for biscuits and I create disgusting biscuits, you're liable, Google. There's clearly got to be some kind of middle ground here. I don't know that I know what it is off the cuff, but I don't want judges deciding it. Let's roll back 25 years before the internet. If I pick up the phone, I call 10 people. I say, let's go take over Congress on January 6th. Is the phone company responsible for the phone did call I just that? made? Is you that mean you're Ginny Thomas happened? is what you you're saying. You did that? I'm oh Ginny Thomas God. in the situation. You're Ginny Thomas. You're like, woo, I'm crazy. <laughs> let's go, yay. No, is the phone company responsible? Because all they are is the media. Now, I'm no legal scholar. I have no personal opinion on this. I'm just raising it as a Let me throw this, something throw to consider. A hypothetical back at you. You are the Concord Monitor, which for our national listeners and international listeners is a small newspaper in Concord, New Hampshire, that has actually been an incubator of a lot of national level reporting talent. So you're the Concord Monitor. Mm -hmm. I post an app in which I say, Let's go attack the Capitol on January 6th. Are you the Concord Monitor liable for that? Probably because I had a choice to print it or not. The phone company doesn't have a choice at that moment for what I'm going to say and to let that call go through. There's a practice here, right? But YouTube scrubs through their content and does take things down, right? They've been so it is a function that the internet companies perform, that the platform owners perform. Facebook obviously at times takes down all kinds of things they yeah. violent and what if they miss one if there's twitter a practical before reality, Elon musk yeah the practical take twitter with twitter is there a practical reality that it is impossible there's got to be billions of tweets a day right sure. is there a way to actually catch every one of them sure no on twitter every single tweet is bad there's never been a positive good tweet that's helped humanity in the history of Twitter. So it's a cesspool would... of hell. You can follow me at yeah. AP Preston. Yeah. Right. And I'm but... at Matt L. Robeson. I uh, no, I think Twitter I'm should at be Paul exploded. Hodes one. There you go. Yeah. I think Twitter is inherently evil, but you know, yes. in in a serious vein, 
that's exactly what I, when I was reading the coverage, that's what the justices were grappling with. And by the way, this wasn't like a conservative liberal breakdown, like Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh were asking equally probing questions of like, what can we do here? So back to the Concord Monitor example, you don't allow me to post my let's go do a crime ad, but you allow me to post a similar sounding one, like I am outraged and I think it's time for extreme measures to be taken. Let's go to the Capitol. All right. What about that? What about you You take down 500 similar ads, but you let mine, one of mine just slips through? Is the Concord Monitor liable for that? There's not an easy answer to any of this. No, I don't think there's an easy answer. I would argue that if someone went to a new, again, before anything gets printed in newspapers where it's very different it is nothing gets printed in a newspaper without review and you can do that because newspapers aren't that big twitter is like a million newspapers coming out every hour like there's no way to scrub that horrible and they're all terrible if you want to be an evil bad human being just go to twitter and follow along but this goes to my this goes back to my earlier point which is that i agree with conservatives that courts are not legislatures and that what the court is being asked to decide, what lower courts are being asked to decide is the application of the law and whether it allows for some liability. And what the Supreme Court is being asked to decide is the constitutional question of whether anything about the existing Section 230 violates a constitutional provision in a way that would allow for a lawsuit to go forward and allow for some liability. But the discussion we're having here is a legislative discussion. The way we would handle this in Congress is Paul would call me into his office and say, hey, Matt, I am on the Judiciary Committee. This would be more like on the Commerce Committee, but whatever. I'm on the committee. We're about to consider a bill. I want to do something here. What should we do? Come back to me with some options. And then he would have a staff and some very brilliant people would do some research and talk to lawyers and talk to policy experts and come up with some recommendations. And we would work together and maybe Paul would introduce a bill or maybe we would go into the committee and I would meet with my counterparts at the staff level and say, hey, here's what we're thinking. What's your boss thinking? And Paul would meet with another member of Congress, maybe a Republican and say, can we like, I know you have your concerns here, my concerns where there are some areas where we could get together. You would hash this stuff out because there's not a clear principle one way or the other, as far as I can see. All right. I think we've exhausted as far as we can go, at least on that topic for now. Let's do, let's do one more. I don't think we quite have time to tackle the big question of, are we heading for a disastrous division in the world, a la 1984, Oceania versus East Asia, the dictatorships of the world, Russia and China versus the free world. That's just, that's too heavy for us today. Alicia, Mm. politically, the Supreme Court also heard a challenge to President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. Politically, what is the Biden administration rooting for here? They're hoping they can get a win and they can start touting it again. What they've missed is the American public vast majority does not support this. And so he's got to hope for a win just so he can take a victory lap. Because if he loses, it just reinforces not only is it not wanted politically, it's not allowed legally or constitutionally. So I think he should have stopped while he was behind. 
he made the effort to get the young people's vote. They're going to vote for him anyway. And I'm not sure why he kept pursuing this. So, Paul, if Alicia's right, shouldn't the Biden administration be kind of hoping that the Supreme Court says no go? And then he can say, look, folks, I tried. Isn't it isn't this an example of it's best to be caught trying? I don't know. Look, the people are struggling under mountains of debt. COVID made it worse. People have been talking about student loan forgiveness one way or another for a long time. Biden actually did something about it. So the conservative Supreme Court may strike it down. They'll, they may find some way to, to strike it down, leaving hundreds and hundreds, if not millions and millions of people struggling with this absurd amount of debt, which is hampering our economy, hampering our ability to go forward. So if the Supreme Court strikes it down, it's there we go again. And Biden takes a victory lap. I did my best. Let's not forget that for the first two years of his presidency, if this was something that Congress wanted, they could have done it. The party had control and they didn't. Why? Because even members of his own party think it's a terrible idea. So he did it by fiat, which made it even worse of an idea politically. And you may be right, Matt. Maybe the best thing that could happen is it dies in the vine politically. I, that could be I the best thing that happens thought, to him. Yeah, I see. I thought that there were yeah. a category of things that the White House did that kind of fell under this we're gonna get caught trying and oh no the supreme court said no like and blame it know, on conservatives for ruining the idea or, right yeah. like they're right like their border <laughs> policy which they've actually now like totally gone the other way and strengthened in the past week but like trying to end the pandemic border policy and, and the student loan thing i thought they were just trying to get caught trying all right look time for just one more this is sort of dessert last week we covered the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene wants America to get a divorce. I suggested that what really needs to happen here is America needs to divorce Marjorie Taylor Greene. But Alicia, you've brought some evidence to bear now that maybe we're starting a trial separation. What's going on here? I think we all need to check and see if we had a prenup is what we need to do. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so Idaho has a movement with their buddy Oregon. And there's actual legislation that's working its way that they would change their state lines. So that Idaho would absorb, who's the language being used, the red counties in Oregon into Idaho so all the red people can stay together and all the blue people can stay together in Oregon. And apparently Oregon is considering this because they only want Smurfs where they are. So this is what we're doing. So we're now, since Marjorie Taylor Greene's whole secession, anti-America, unconstitutional thing may not fall well with the American people, states are going to divvy themselves up into the little red and little blue, and we're going to move state lines. And yeah, that's going to be what happens. Uh, Honey, you uh, don't uh, look, a... you don't look bluish. <laughs> oh my God. Funny. She doesn't Funny. look bluish. Funny, oh you God. don't look bluish. That's just a joke for the bluish people among us. By the way, our preferred term isn't Smurfs. It's Navi. We like the avatar metaphor better than the 50-year-old uh, <sighs> cartoon metaphor. Of, of course, course we do. do. I'd rather be a nine-foot-tall, ass-kicking alien than like a freaking three-apple-high Gargamel food target. I want to be Smurfette, <laughs> but I'm not blue. God, this pet Are there any are red creatures? Smurfette. <laughs> yes. Are there any red characters I can be? Other than there, like Satan. Are, I can't think of a single, what's a red character, like the red skull in Marvel? Are you guys all like the red skull? You're, ooh, yes, underneath, Republicans are sort of the red skull. They're no. like proto-Nazi mm. evildoers. That's, that's for next great. week, I'm coming Thanks up with a red up. character. A sweet, red kind red character. What? Connor, you Smurfs. Good luck Good with luck. that. Good luck with Good that. Luck. The, the major red character I can think of 
could it be Satan? <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> Alyssa's going to go workshop Shit. that and we will Are you check a talent of power. <laughs>